Geekscapist, strap yourself in for The Avengers being the third top movie of all time. Talking Battleship, Men in Black 3, Moonrise Kingdom, Snow White and the Huntsman, Harley Quinn's Revenge, Nino Cooney, and X-Men number 51. This is a Geekscape pod. It's something brand new that I'm trying, so bear with me. <laughs> Movies, comics, video games, wow, 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 Geekscape. All right, guys, so I'm trying this new thing uh, called a Geekscape pod because I want to keep giving you guys podcasts, and I'm, I've become ridiculously busy. Uh, we started filming on a couple projects. Uh, I've got my schoolwork, and then I've got things coming up this summer, including E3 and San Diego Comic-Con and a couple film projects that have just made it really hard to schedule Geekscapes. On top of that, um, just guests. I'm, I've just been trying to get a couple guests. Some have fallen through the cracks. And I hate seeing the empty feed. I hate not, not giving you guys uh, a podcast. I think... Um, when I look back, I, I guess I started college radio in 1997, so I've been doing, I've been talking to people for about 15 years now through a microphone, and uh, it's just natural to me. And I guess the promise I made when I started Geekscape was that you guys get a podcast. Remember how, how I mean, those of you guys who were around for Geekdrome and the end of Geekdrome, remember just how frustrating it was. That I was like, wait, what? We just, we just put this audience together, like we just put this whole thing together, and, and, and now the audience doesn't get a show? Like, that... That's not fair to them. Um, so the, these Geekscape pods, I, I'm going to try and keep them all under like around like 15, 20 minutes every couple days. So in your Geekscape feed, when you see Geekscape episode, you know that's a guest. You know that's like a, a long episode where I sit down with a guest. A Geekscape pod, you know, is like reviews and news and a little bit of my thoughts. Um, let's talk a l- real quick about the impetus for doing this beyond just trying to get you guys content the other the other thing is like i started guesting on other people's podcasts started doing comics and comics and i started like telling their audiences what i thought about certain things i was doing reviews on other podcasts and i was like wait a minute what about my home base what about my home audience the people who've been really good to the to the brand why aren't they getting the thoughts um the reason i stopped doing that in the geekscape podcast was i just didn't think that my opinion was that interesting and i thought that Really, opinions are like assholes, especially on the internet. And when we started it, maybe it was fresh and there weren't many people doing it. But now everybody's doing review podcasts. Um, and I just got bored of it. Um, it started feeling like, I don't know, a bit egotistical. Or when you think about like sports radio, the, the phrase is sports radio is just losers talking about winners. Um, and as I, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm talking about other people's films, but I'm not making other people's films. I'm talking about other people's comics, but I'm not making my own comics. Um, and that, that was just frustrating. Um, and I, I'm sure you guys understand if you're creative that the creativity has to come first. But now that we're starting to shoot things and starting to work on new projects, um, I, I feel liberated enough to, uh, to maybe come back to that a bit. And also, you guys just asked for it. I had emails from you guys just being like, hey, I do miss your reviews. Your reviews and opinions are what I trust and what got me to listen to Geekscape and become a, a long-term listener to begin with. So F you guys. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I try and get out, and you, you just drag me back in. And again, I don't like seeing the empty feed. So let's just get through it. Uh, let's, let's get to it. So I'm going to be talking about stuff that's on the Geekscape website that our amazing writers have put up. And one of these is uh, that The Avengers is now the number three top movie of all time. Um, I think that's great. I'm all for it. Uh, I love seeing a comic book movie being that high up with Titanic and uh, Avatar. But hey, man, uh, 
do I love the Avengers? I love the I, I really like the Avengers, and of course, if you guys want to listen to the Ian Perkerner podcast about the Avengers, we just went at it ad nauseum, and there are literally people who who've kind of taken my side on it. Um, I was thinking about the Avengers, and I was thinking about that first third that um, some people say is boring, and I think that this is the problem. The problem lies with the with the character whose eyes you're seeing that first opening incident through. Or should I say I? I mean, the character of Nick Fury is kind of who opens the movie, and you're kind of following him through this, through this, through this action sequence. And in comparison to the other characters in the movie, Iron Man, the Hulk, uh, Captain America, Thor, I just think that I, Nick Fury is not the most dynamic character. So, um, like, would you ever go see a Nick Fury movie and tell me how that would be different than an older James Bond or Jason Bourne with just some smart-ass quips. Um, it's tough to put someone in the shoes of Nick Fury. I think that he's on par with like a Ghost Rider or a Silver Surfer, where you're like, okay, well, this isn't a comic book that has like any iconic run. You can talk about like the Jim Steranko runs of Nick Fury, but, I mean, is that style? Are you guys talking about just like how stylistically he overhauled uh, and married style to form? Um, that's my thoughts on the beginning of Avengers because I was like, why, why doesn't it work for me? Why isn't this working for me? And that, that's what I came to was like the, the realization that Nick Fury is just a tough character for an audience to relate to. And even as you, if you watch the movie, as you watch the movie, like he really has like the note of perseverance. Like that's his note. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get this done my way. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. This has to be done. Um, you know, even in his in his times of failing, do you get that into his character? I don't know. Uh, you guys, send me an email. Let me know what you think. Jonathan at Geekscape.net. Uh, but I think that's awesome. I do think that's awesome that Avengers is the number three movie of all time. Let's all give our geek uh, wallets like a, a round of applause for that one. Next topic, I want to talk about real quick, uh, Battleship and Men in Black 3. Because there were two movies that just couldn't get out from under the Avengers. Uh, the Avengers still tearing up box office and... I, I saw both of these films. I saw them in Mexico. My, my grandfather turned 100 years old, and that's pretty incredible. He's a superhero in and of his own right. And I went down to Mexico with Laura, and she doesn't speak a whole lot of Spanish. So you'd imagine that a 100-year-old birthday celebration is like a big thing. And she spent, I mean, she was a real champ. Like, she spent a lot of days just being inundated with people who only spoke Spanish. So at night, she's like, I just need to go see movies. And, and so I took her to this like the local mall, and we went to see uh, Men in Black 3, which is cool. Uh, I think Men in Black 3 is fun. If you want to get like a full review, go check out the Comedy Film Nerds podcast where I sat down with Chris and Graham and talked about it. Um, it I just love seeing Barry Levinson movies. I think it's fun. It's got like a weird middle act uh, where it kind of stutters, like it kind of sputters for a little bit, but um, it, it's just fun to see K and J together. And um, Josh Brolin really is the highlight of this movie like his performance his Tommy Lee Jones performance isn't really an impersonation he is just he's doing as great a job doing Tommy Lee Jones and Agent K as uh, he did doing George W. Bush for Oliver Stone so that's the I want to say it's a rental but it is a Barry Levinson movie and it is a Men in Black movie so seeing it on a big screen is actually pretty cool I don't think that you need to see it in 3D um, but Barry Levinson in an interview was talking about how he uses wide-angle lenses because he wants to see, he wants the audience to think that the, to feel as though the movie's in front of them. Not, not on the screen, but actually in front of the screen, in front of them playing out. He also doesn't use a lot of pans is what I realized. 
so he's not showing you where to look. So when he's not using a telephoto lens with like a short focus, you get to see everything in focus. And when you look around in real life, everything is in focus. So I thought that was a pretty, pretty interesting stylistic call for his movies. And um, I just like seeing his movies on a big screen. Uh, a movie I did see on the big screen that was kind of weird, uh, Battleship. <laughs> Battleship, um, I wouldn't call it, I don't know, Shane O'Hare, one of our writers and an amazing geekscape, has called and said, you had to see Battleship. Like, you have to watch Battleship. It's so pro-America. And I agree. Um, he said it was awesome. I agree that it was, it's awesome, but in the, the way I describe this movie is not awful. I describe this movie as uh, awesomely stupid. It, it, it's everything, I mean, you can just kind of tell the, the formula by which they're writing and putting this movie together. Um, I think if you have some of your drunkest, most ridiculous friends, you should, you should go for it. Like, you should try and see this movie because it really is a celebration of overindulgence. Um, a lot of the stuff doesn't make sense. A lot of the stuff isn't very smart. Uh, there's one sequence with veterans that I think is just, it's trying to honor them, but I, I just was like, this is one of the silliest things I've ever seen, both stylistically and narratively on a screen. My hat's off to you guys. Um, I love this for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> it really is. Um, I, I don't. I mean, I was at a loss for words seeing a lot of this movie. Um, would I watch sequences of it if it was on TV, like on TNT later on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I kind of want to tell you guys to rent it, but it's such a big screen just train wreck that you kind of have to watch it on a big screen. Like, like this is like a Saturday, Sunday matinee with literally some of your most ridiculous friends. And, like, go to an empty theater where, like, you guys can just yell at the screen because there's plenty to yell at with this one. Um, I did go to see Moonrise Kingdom, the new S. Anderson movie with our writer, Scout. Uh, Scott has a review up on the website that you can look for by just going to geekscape.net and searching for Moonrise Kingdom. I'm one of those people who experienced Wes Anderson fatigue Right before he did, uh, but you know, by the time he did Dejiring, uh, what was the one where they are on the train, the Dejiring movie, and then they, uh, and then Fantastic Mr. Fox comes out, and it's like a brand new filmmaker. I thought Fantastic Mr. Fox was his best movie. It just has so much energy. It's so clever. It, the pacing is just on track the entire time. Seeing Moonrise Kingdom, which is a movie about these two kids who run away together on a small island, and they cause the adults. Uh, Bill Murray, Francis McDormand, Bruce Willis, Ed Norton, to go looking for them in the wilderness. Um, it, it's really a great movie about love. And from the opening shot, which is a really impressive dolly sequence, you can tell that Fantastic Mr. Fox really, I mean, I don't know. Hey, Wes, if you're listening to this, let me know. But it injected, the, it, it, it kind of re-injected an energy to his style because uh, I, I feel like um, the stories became shorter and shorter story-wise. Like the span of the scope of the stories that he was telling were becoming more and more internal. Uh, by the time you went through like Royal Tenenbaum, Steve Zissou, uh, the Desiring the Limited, um, which I think I butchered that name. By the time you got to that movie, the characters, the things that were happening were, were fairly internal and there wasn't a whole lot of story to it. You know, it was kind of an interpersonal uh, play. And I was like, well, why not just tell these as plays? Fantastic Mr. Fox just really embraced everything cinematically that, that, that was a, like, he just embraced all the tools. You know, sound, music, tools, like everything, like structure, 
composition, pace. It was, it was just a really fun celebration. I'm not going to win over anybody who's not a Wes Anderson fan. And there are tons of people who aren't Wes Anderson fans. And I understand why you're not a Wes Anderson fan. Because he, you know, his style is very strong. His voice is really strong. Um, I thought I was going in that direction. Moonrise Kingdom, is it a, is it a home run out of the park? No, but it's, it's very interesting. And you can see where Fantastic Mr. Fox educated the pace that he now uses in Moonrise Kingdom with, uh, with things like the performances, with things like the camera movements, with things with just introdu- introducing some really uh, funny beats and then cutting to something that it relates to for a really great effect. There's a piercing scene in the movie that is literally just a composition of two shots but it, it has such a great reaction because it's done so smartly. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed this movie, and I'd recommend it to anybody who may be on the fence about Wes Anderson. Uh, just the things that they do in this movie are really impressive. I think the performances are really great. Um, the color composition in this movie is phenomenal. There are some scenes where I mean, you kind of you kind of see. I don't want I don't want to spoil the movie, um, but I do want to talk stylistically about. I mean, uh, about a director who's working on all gears. He's taking things like, uh, for just for instance, color. Let's just talk color. He's taking color and they're representing certain things uh, about the parties in the movie. Now, there's, the, 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 there's the, the kids and then there's the adults. And by the end of the movie, they have to coexist because they're on an island together. Uh, the, the theme of the movie is love. In a, in a bit way, coexistence. And when you watch this movie, look at how he treats those colors and how, and I, again, I don't want to spoil it, at the end of the movie, the most climactic scene, he, he, it's there. He's, he's, he's basically come to his conclusion and brought you along with it. Uh, I thought Moonrise Kingdom was definitely worth seeing. Again, if you're not a Wes Anderson fan, there's no convincing you to sit in this theater and watch it. But I had so much fun watching it. And you can kind of see his influences in the film, which I thought was a great celebration. Um, there's a, a scene where the kid ran away from a scout troop and you, the scouts all kind of start hunting for him. They don't go looking for him. They go hunting for him. <laughs> He's the most unpopular scout. And uh, for those of you guys who've seen uh, Rules of the Game, it's like a, it's an old French movie, but it's one of the most celebrated films of all time. If you've seen the hunting sequence, which is a really famous sequence in Rules of the Game, uh, you see it in this scene and you're just giggling the entire time because you can tell Wes Anderson loves film. He loves it. And you can see it on the screen. He's celebrating it. Um, And again, he's using the full faculty of the medium, which I love. It's really exciting to me to see somebody who's like, okay, I'm going to use this here. I'm going to use this tool here. I'm going to use this tool here. And I'm going to pace my way through it. Um, And I'm talking about things like composition, rhythm. uh, You know, I don't want to start getting all filmy because I might turn some of you guys off. You might think I'm an asshole. But I think you get what I'm saying, right? If it was a basketball player, he'd have a really great dribble, really great pass, really great jump shot, really great, you know, like court vision. He'd be an all-around basketball player. We're we're watching somebody who's an all-around great basketball player. Uh, This is exciting. Nino Cooney, the the game that's developed by Level 5, who did the Professor Layton games, and Studio Ghibli, who did um, every amazing anime that, that you've probably ever loved, like My Neighbor Totoro, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, Lapido Castle of the Sky. Most recently, I guess they did, uh, what are we talking about here? Spirit Away, um, Princess Mononoke. 
they had this game, Nino Kuni, which we didn't know it was going to get a U.S. release date anytime soon. There's a trailer up on the site that I put up literally at 5 a.m. It's awesome. It's um, an animated uh, trailer, but it also shows a bit of, uh, of, of the gameplay. It looks like an RPG. It's going to be available for the PS3 and the uh, uh, Nintendo DS. The release date is January 22nd. I only have to wait eight months for this. This might be my favorite game of 2013, but it depends on Grand Theft Auto V and how awesome it is. Uh, I'm excited about this game. I don't play a lot of RPGs, but if I'm going to be in the world of a Miyazaki, uh, Studio Ghibli type of place, uh, I, I'll just stay there. Just bury me there. Um, I've loved these movies since I discovered them back in 1995 when I, would, when I thought I was cool. And in high school, I would go and watch with like the anime club of University of Texas a bunch of animes. <laughs> I thought I was cool because I was hanging out with college students. I didn't know that those college students were probably less popular than I was. Um, it, I just discovered all these movies, and I loved them. Um, and seeing them transferred into a video game, that's just going to be, out, I mean, hours and hours and hours of being in that world just it seems cool to me. So go look, at the, go look for the trailer. I put it up on the website just for you guys. Uh, I did have a frustrating trip to Mexico as far as my street passing goes. You guys know I'm a 3DS fanatic and I like street passing and trading street passes. I thought I was going to go down to Mexico and get like uh, a lot of Mexican street passes. I walked to malls, I walked around airports, I walked around outdoor, uh, you know, like, like markets. I didn't get one street pass in Mexico. I didn't pass one person with a 3DS my entire five days in Mexico. And I went to all the popular spots where you usually run into street passes. I went to the mall, I went to the airport, nothing. Finally, on the fifth day, Laura and I are in a mall, and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Why am I not getting a street pass? What the fuck is wrong with this place? Does nobody have a 3DS? I saw like a, the Mexican equivalent of like a GameStop, and I said, you know what? They're going to have 3DSs in there. I'm going to walk in, and I'm going to walk out. And I told my, my, my wife, I, I said, Laura, I'm gonna just going to like, please allow me to just walk in that store and walk out. I know it's nerdy as shit, but just allow this. And we were with my mom, and my mom's like, what's he doing? And, and Laura's like, I don't want to tell you. This is too nerdy. I walk into the game store, and I'm walking towards the back counter, and I'm looking at the shelves. Let's just see what games were released in Mexico, what games were released in the U.S. Let's see what, let's see if, I love seeing how, how they're marketed differently. And I notice something by the time I get to the other store that just freaks me out. There are no 3DSs. They're not even selling 3DSs. This, this game store doesn't sell 3DSs. And I'm thinking it's like a major chain. It's like a GameStop for Mexico. I'm like, they don't have a 3DS. The nation doesn't have 3DSs. Holy shit. I'm walking around like an asshole with my street pass and walking around like with my 3DS with the damn blinking light hoping to get a street pass. They don't have a street pass in the entire damn nation. It freaked me the hell out. I, I, I was... I, I, I don't even have a metaphor for this. <laughs> How could a nation not have street passing? How dare you people? Luckily, E3 is next week here in Los Angeles. I'll be there on Tuesday. I'm going to the Microsoft press conference tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll have plenty of street passes, but that just shocked me. A nation without street passes, I think, is a nation without without a voice, a nation without justice. I'm going to pause to take a drink real fast. I mean, that's how effing a like that really just hit me like a wall of like a like a whole damn wall of bricks. Okay, let's talk about a video game that did come out last week: Harley Quinn's Revenge, the DLC for um, Batman Arkham City. 
Jake108 threw up a review on the site. I agree with it 100%. I played about an hour's worth of Harley Quinn's uh, Revenge, and I'm not into it. I don't know what's going on, because Arkham City was easily my favorite game of 2011. I loved it. I tried to explore every nook and cranny of Arkham City, and for the most part, I did. I didn't fall. I didn't get on some of the. I, I think I'll, the only thing I have left is like some Riddler clues, uh, or those trophies. But I did all the story stuff, and I'm playing. I mean, I couldn't be more excited for this DLC because I really loved the game that much. And I, I play an hour of it, and I realize I'm just, I'm just not having that much fun. It reminded me of when I was playing um, another game I loved. A game I 100%ed was um, Red Dead Redemption, and then I downloaded Undead Nightmare, and I didn't even finish it. Or I really enjoyed a lot of um, L.A. Noir, didn't even finish it. The game just got to a point where you've been there. You're just following the narrative on a string. In Harley Quinn's Revenge, as awesome as Arkham City is and the gameplay mechanics are, there's not enough of a difference between playing as Robin and playing as Batman. There just isn't. That would have given it a little bit more freshness, but mechanically, I don't think they can make the game feel like a 100% different character. At least it's not as annoying as playing as Catwoman, um, which is just kind of annoying. Um, but the world just felt smaller, and it is smaller. You but you don't need to go through the entire city. I, I don't even think you can go through the entire city, but side quests are non-existent. You're not really look, doing much more than following the story, which for a game that completely sold itself on not only having a kick-ass story, but a really big world, I feel like a letdown. I feel like I want more of that. I want to have a couple different villains that I have to take care of. Um, even, I mean, the Deadshot stuff was great in Arkham City, the stuff with Hush, the stuff with, uh, with running around uh, trying, trying to save people from the different villains. Um, there's just not a lot here, and I feel let down. Am I still going to finish it? Probably, but what am I supposed to do, right? It's DLC. I paid 10 bucks for it. I'm not going to totally complain, but if you're expecting something that rejuvenates the game for you, it's probably not here. I promise you guys that we will keep these things under 20 minutes, but this is the first one, and I got a lot of catch-up to do. Uh, Laura and I went to see Snow White and the Huntsman. I think that this is a good movie that looks great. A lot of it is great. The, a lot of the performances are great, but it kind of doesn't work. And I, in, in, it's, it's interesting in that way because the movie looks phenomenal. I think that this new director, he came out of the commercial world. He did some of those slow-mo Halo commercials that look really awesome. Uh, this movie looks great. And Charlize Theron's performance and her costume design looks awesome. The movie starts out really great with this whole setup where Charlize Theron is the queen uh, because she takes over the kingdom from uh, Snow White's father, who's the king, who just lost his wife and kind of takes him, you know, kind of overtakes the kingdom while he's vulnerable. Snow White is imprisoned. And she, whenever she, she becomes the fairest of them all, Snow White escapes, right, as Charlize Theron wants to kill her. And as she escapes, Charlize Theron sends this huntsman after her. The movie starts out, like, the first act of the movie is really well-paced and really goes, uh, and you're into this film. You're like, wow, this is pretty good. Somewhere in the second act, it, you just kind of get over it. And you just kind of watch the movie work its way to, to the ending. Um, it's hard to, to nail down what and where and why the movie just stops 
chugging along. But uh, Chris Helmsworth is great. Kristen Stewart's fine. Charlie Theron's fin- fantastic. She's the reason to watch this movie. That and the art design. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's like the the pace at the beginning of the movie was too aggressive, and then it just stopped working. I don't know what's going on. Uh, a friend of mine said that there's a, I mean, George Callard, we were shooting something yesterday, and we were talking about the movie, and he said there's a scene in a fishing village run by women uh, who've, like, scarred their faces so that the queen wouldn't be challenged by them and let them live. Uh, and these women uh, take in Kristen Stewart and the it's Kristen Stewart and, and the Huntsman, Snow White and the Huntsman. They take them in to, like, you know, because they've been running from the queen's forces, and somewhere there, there's something missing. And that's really where this, the movie starts to slow down. Watch the movie. Let me know what you think. But there needed to be something there that really triggered the relationship between the two. Because there's not enough between the two of them to justify the big moment later in the movie. And you guys who are fans of the Snow White story know it's like the kiss that wakes her up. The Huntsman is in grieving for his wife. He's pretty much focused on that the whole movie. And then all of a sudden, like later in the movie, he kisses Kristen Stewart. It's like, um, where'd that come from? I feel like there's needed to be a, mo- a moment somewhere in that fishing village scene uh, where they f- say, hey, we like each other. We're going to see this thing through. Or what? I don't know. I didn't write the movie. I think there were some good writers, too, on that movie, too. There were some good, really good writers. And I think everybody involved in the movie is pretty talented. But something doesn't totally work. I, I do think it's a good movie, almost a great movie. Something really weird that happens early in the film is, you know, you've got trolls in the movie, you've got elves, you've got all, like, this fantastic, like, like fairy tale world. Krishna Stewart, when she's imprisoned, and this is weird, did the Our Father. What? Like, what? What? <laughs> Um, you have a world with like trolls and dwarves and fairies and a character does the Our Father. Like, does Christ, like did Christ come to this fairy tale world? Did, was Catholicism set up in this fairy tale world where there's magic and evil sorceresses and fairies and magical creatures Christ came there and he said it like it just felt way out of place and it's the only scene in the movie you don't see you don't get to like a castle and they don't have they don't have crosses on their banners they they don't you know they're not modeled after you know knights on a uh, you know on, on a crusade it's just just that scene that's it you get that one scene where she says the our father and it felt so invasive to the world that was created for this film, because the, the film the, it kind of has a pretty cohesive world. This this fairy tale thing, I was like, "What the? F- Wait, what?" We, I mean, Laura, you know, she goes to church, and we just kind of looked at each other and we we're like, "Wait, really?" It reminded me of my one issue with the Empire Strikes Back. <gasps> what you got an issue with Empire Strikes Back? It's perfect. No, I agree. I think it's a perfect movie. But in that movie at the beginning, and you guys know what I'm going to say. Uh, but when he says you'll freeze before you get to the first marker, past the you know get, before you get to the first marker, Solo and Han Solo is going to go out there on his tauntaun and rescue uh, Luke. He says, "Then I'll see you in hell," which is crazy to me that you've got this really cohesive universe, the Star Wars universe that has like 
well, this is pre-prequel <laughs> cohesiveness. It kind of fell apart there. But you get this world that has the force, and it's got these different. It's got this belief system, but nowhere does it have a Judeo-Christian belief, like like heaven and hell concept. And all of a sudden, Han Solo says, "Hell, I'll see you in hell." What? Like that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. I'll see you in hell. No, I'll see you in, in the force. <laughs> May the force be with you. I'll see you in hell. And so, in this movie the other day, when you, when you see Christian Stewart praying, the Our Father, which is a pretty big staple of Catholicism, um, it just felt out of place. Crazy. Can you guys think of any other movies that, that do that kind of thing? Have like a cohesive world that, that isn't Earth, isn't, isn't of our making it. It's not like, you know, like a fantasy movie, sci-fi movie, but they throw something out that is inherently human on earth is inherently our world filmmakers have busted their butts to create a world that is not ours and then all of a sudden some detail from our world gets in there and it just looks like peeking behind the curtain it just looks like it's shattering the realism can you guys think of anything um send them to me jonathan geekscape.net or tweet them at me at jonathan london real quick guys spoilers on the website i hate them i hate it i hate having spoilers on the website do I understand the role that they play in internet news? Yes. Are we going to have spoilers on the web? Oh, sorry, Albert. Are we going to have spoilers on the website? Yes, we're going to have spoilers on the website. I think it's just part of doing business. Um, but we're going to hide them. I mean, we're going to put spoiler warnings on the on the headlines. We're going to put spoiler warnings in the pictures. We're not going to put spoilers up on the on the main pictures on the front page. We slipped. We have a new writer, Sean, who I think is incredible. I think he's amazing, and he he put a major spoiler for Iron Man three in his headline, so I went and changed it. Um, sorry about that, guys. I agree with Simon Pegg. I think spoilers ruin movies. I'm steering clear of anything that has Prometheus on it. I think we've seen too much of The Dark Knight Rises. I've heard otherwise. I heard it's awesome. I've I think we've seen too much of Amazing Spider Man. Amazing Spider Man. I'm still looking forward to because it's Spider Man. But you know what? We don't need a four minute trailer. We don't need that. Like, what is that? You, I mean, are you not doing your job? Like, come on, give us some mystique. Like, like, give us some mystery. Give us a surprise. Don't show us a four-minute trailer. Come on, like, have some security in your movie. Like, have, like, like, don't. We're there. You put Spider-Man in a movie. We're there. You put Batman in a movie. We're there. You say Ridley Scott's returning to maybe the Alien universe. Great. Keep the maybe. Let's let, let's show up. Let's find out. It just feels like. It just feels like insecure marketing. Like they're like they're dropping a nuke on us to get us to see the damn movie instead of precision and saying these are the only facts you need to know. Hopefully they're interesting enough to you, and then trust in word of mouth. You know I don't feel like we saw a whole lot of the Avengers before it came out. Um, Scott, one of our writers, said, uh, "I love Scott. He's awesome." He said, uh, "Every movie should be marketed like J.J. Abrams markets." I agree. A lot of mysteries. Um, so, sorry if you got spoiled for Iron Man 3. That, that was a biggie. I got spoiled. That's the danger I run in, uh, in publishing the, you know, the website. Um, X-Men 51, the big gay marriage. We've got a preview of that up on the website. That's, that's, that's actually Astonishing X-Men number 51, in which Northstar marries his husband Kyle, or his boyfriend Kyle. Um, everybody's making an issue about this. And, of course, props to Eric Diaz for guessing that Alan Scott was going to be the character DC Turns Gay, the original Green Lantern, whose weakness is wood. What? Um, huge props to Eric 
for guessing that Alan that, that Alan Scott was going to be the the DC thing, the DC gay character. Um, who cares? I mean, is it just me, or is this just the too big two just trying to get headlines from major media? Who cares? I wrote an article a year ago when they made a big deal about Spider-Man turning black Tino in the Ultimate Universe that comics are way past race relations issues. Way past it. Way past it. Comics are all about class warfare. They're all about the rich versus the poor. They're all about the kingpin versus daredevil. They're all about... Even Batman, who's the wealthy, is using it for good. It's all about class issues with comics. We don't care if they're black, white, like Kryptonian. We don't care. And the gay thing kind of goes hand in hand with the race issue. It's a non-issue in comics. We don't care. Why wasn't there a gay marriage 20 years ago? Who cares, right? It's, why wasn't there, I mean, there's plenty, plenty of gay characters. And I don't even think Alan Scott from Earth 2 is a major character anymore. He's not in the 52 universe of DC. He's in the, he's in the Earth 2 universe of DC. That's the same thing as making Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe Black Tino. Does it really count? I'm not reading Earth 2. I hear it's great. I hear it's awesome. But I'm reading so many 52 books that just like that one just felt like, the, I mean, maybe I'm being an asshole, but it felt like the straw that would break my back. Um, what do you guys think about this thing? This whole... I don't know, publicity stunt. That's what it is for the gay movement in comics. It's like, oh, let's get over it already. The issue hasn't come, over, come, come out. Like, none of these issues have come out. We're already over it because it's a non-issue. It's not why we read our comics. We read our comics to have stories of people punching each other in the face, uniting for a common goal, being heroes. Who gives a crap what they look like or what they do, right? Um... All right, guys. So that's the Geekscapist. Uh, so, so Geekscapist, listen, that's, that's the Geekscape pod. Uh, I'm going to be giving these to you every couple of days. I will keep them shorter. I just had to play catch-up. I'm going to keep them under 20 minutes, probably under 15. So let me know if you're into it. Let me know if this is worth listening on your, on your morning drive or your subway ride or whatever. Um, this week we've got E3. I'm going to be giving you guys one of these after the Microsoft press conference tomorrow. Uh, and then Tuesday I'll be at E3. It's the only day I get to, to, to go because my, my week is pretty much stupid. And then next weekend I'm out of town shooting. So let me know if you guys like these. I'll give you one tomorrow. I'll give you one later in the week to talk about E3. And then uh, maybe we'll have Ian Kerner to talk Prometheus as a guest for a Geekscape episode next. Um, if you guys want to hear more, I was on, uh, I was on the uh, Comedy Film Nerds podcast. Go to ComedyFilmNerds.com. Listen to that. Also, Comics on Comics. We had a kick-ass Comics on Comics with Chris Gore. Um, we had John Schnepp, our last epi- uh, guest. Uh, Marisha Ray, who I thought was great. And John, uh, Chris Mancini from Comedy Film Nerds. We were at... Th- Comics on Comics is at the Hollywood Improv now. It's legit. We're in the main room doing an hour and a half panel discussion comedically about comics and pop culture. Can you believe that? I'm hosting this show on the main stage of the improv once a month, comics on comics, and the improv supposedly is going to put it out as a podcast. We've been recording them. So the improv is going to put them out as a podcast through their new podcast network. I feel honored. I feel it's awesome. And those of you guys who can't be there in person, you can listen to it. So that's the Geekscape pod for today. Sorry it's so long again. They won't be this long. All right. Let me know what you want to hear. JonathanGeekscape.net, at Jonathan 
London on Twitter, and then look for us, Geekscape, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and of course at geekscape.net. And tomorrow we're going to talk E3's Microsoft press conference, and I'm also going to to give you guys a diatribe about Batman that I gave to my film students, about how Batman and Bruce Wayne, if they're to work, they have to hate each other. They have to. That's a relationship that does not work. They have to hate the existence of the other. It is more like a Bruce Wayne, uh, like a, it's more of a Bruce Banner Hulk relationship than anything else. All right, guys. See you next time.